So, welcome to Chef Satchel. Mm -hmm. Today, I'm sitting down with Colin, mm -hmm. who also has just started with his page, Journey Into Wine, where he educates each and every person as he loves educating. When I was working with him, he always, always loved sharing his wine knowledge or any kind of knowledge with liquor that he has. And I love the fact that he's super enthusiastic and loves sharing knowledge. And that's exactly why we have him today with us. Colin, mm. what's going on? Oh, man. <laughs> it's good to be here. No, I'm really excited uh, to be a part of this. I. I love to talk about myself. If that's not too personal, if that's yeah. not too, you know, I love it. no, no, no. I, I, um, I do. It's, it's, it's not only that. I, I love to talk. I love to talk about my passions. It's, um, I tend to ramble. I tend to, uh, get very not off topic, but I always have like tangents. I probably could build a bonsai tree with just how yeah. much it's just, it could, one thing could lead off of another. That's exactly what we're here for. If it turns <laughs> into something else, guys, don't be surprised. Guess what? We're just here to have fun and talk about some great topics related to wine and maybe related to some industry. And you know what? Maybe guy, you know, might some, get some gossip inside and stuff like that too. I was, anyway, you have to like, do you know my name? <laughs> awesome. So, Colin, yeah. let's let's start off with like the yeah. most basic question. Mm -hmm. If I was in a grocery store, amateur, mm. um, how do I go about choosing a wine? Like, I mm -hmm. I have a knowledge of being a chef mm -hmm. that sucks to not have <laughs> a lot of knowledge about wine, but mm -hmm. I'm kind of getting into it. So, mm -hmm. I know for a fact red and white. Mm -hmm. I know for a fact I don't like anything strong, okay. but if in case you're just getting started into mm -hmm. like trying out wines and stuff, mm -hmm. what is your what is your take on it? So some of my strong suits that I've tend tended to pick out, you know, over your time in your own industry, you notice strengths about yourself, right? And yeah. you figure out how they define how you approach your guest. Um, for me. I have a, a very good mental palette, yeah. if you will. I, I have a way of asking the right questions to a guest that kind of breaks it down, maybe to something that is so convoluted to them. So you say you don't like things strong. So I'd ask you, well, do you not like intense wines? Do you not like high alcohol wines? Do you not like really sweet wines? You have to help me break it down. Mm -hmm. So there I can really unravel the universe that is your taste buds right? right so if you're an amateur and you're you know going to the grocery store and you know which have now blown me out of the water about how many things that they can carry and then going deeper into that industry when I worked for Whole Foods to see the buying processes it's kind of incredible the that the demographics really change what a store is going to carry mm -hmm. um, rather than you know everybody carrying the same thing so if you're you're an amateur, you know you read from your white, you know kind of what you want and what you don't want. I'd ask you, what have you tried already? Because if you can't answer those first questions I asked, you know, if you like high alcohol or if you like really intense wines, I would probably say, what have you tried before? Like, oh well, you know, I've tried barefoot, I've tried um, yellowtail. Like, oh, it doesn't really tell me much. <laughs> no, it does. It does. Um, you know, if, if you've had Kendall Jackson or if you had anything on the lower rung, yeah. I would not want to do something really geeky with you. I wouldn't want to give you a varietal that you wouldn't understand or you wouldn't know where it's from. Yeah. Because it's almost like 
it's almost like giving something to someone that they just don't understand. You want them to appreciate it in all of its glory. That's like right. if you were new, I wouldn't give you a $300 Burgundian red. Um, not because you wouldn't, you know, enjoy it. Well, not because you wouldn't um, think it was great, but you wouldn't get the nuance. You wouldn't get why it's a $300 bottle. Exactly. Wine, right. So I would probably guide you into something really entry level. I'd probably start you in on something new world. Um, something of a varietal base, a single varietal, probably not a blend. Blends tend to be a lot more complex. They tend to be um, have levels of um, depth within them mm-hmm. to just like give more to your uh, the drinker, right? That's right. So, yeah, I would start you off on something really basic. I probably start you off with a cap. I give you one red and I give you one white, one white. So I'd probably start you off on Pinot Grigio and a Cabernet because mm-hmm. they're both. Very well-known whites throughout the entire world. You know, almost anybody who goes to a restaurant, you would see at least one of those on, or one of both of those on on your wine list, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then just go from there. Kind of break it down as you're trying it. I definitely want to taste it with you yeah. to get your perception. So. Yeah, and then probably not finish the bottle while they're already at it. Oh, yeah, I mean, why not? You can't just let it sit there. It always happens with me. I, I think, think it, it, especially if I end up reading something, or I always have a glass while I'm studying, because I remember one of the guys I used to work with uh, went to get his Cicerone, which yeah. is um, the beer certification, kind of equivalency to SOM. Okay. Um, and the, one of the books you read said, if you're not having a beer while you're, ha- while you're reading this book, you're doing it wrong. That's yeah. fabulous. So, That's the way to go. Right. It is. You can That's apply awesome. what you're learning. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> so what exactly, like what determines the value of the wine mm-hmm. bottle as mm-hmm. per like, why are some wines not as expensive as the other? Mm-hmm. Or why are some wines so expensive mm-hmm. that it's like, oh my God, like. Would you actually pay that kind of price for right. it? So what determines that? There's a, a lot of factors I think that uh, people don't think about whenever they think about a price of a bottle of wine. Um, not only quality goes into a uh, factor, but think about, so we'll think about regions. Um, use Burgundy as, as, one of a, as one example versus um, just getting something from uh, Fredericksburg, you know, up in Texas, right? So... Two different styles of regions, totally two different climates. Um, excuse me, not even in the same country. Uh, Burgundy has been around for so much longer than we've been making Texas wine. Mm-hmm. But labor goes into a lot of cost. Um, the the, tre- the trellises that they grow wine on in uh, Cote de Rhone in Burgundy... It is so steep, they can't get any type of mechanization up there. They can't get tractors to harvest their grapes, so they all have to do it by hand. So, well, I have to pay a bunch of people to go and harvest my grapes. Well, that costs a lot. Well, probably I have to house them on the vineyard so, you know, they're not driving in if I have a big enough place. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to think about buying the grapes to put in the ground. I have to think about... um, all the fertilization and I have to think about, you know, it's all these things that go into the viticulture of growing those wines. And then you're, we're not even in the winery yet. Yeah. So once we start harvesting everything and we get it into the winery, I have to think about, oh my gosh, all of that equipment to store, to ferment, to maturate, all of the, all of this wine and I want it to be really good. So I better have high quality stuff, you know, so that goes into play. It's then you think about, well, is it international or is it domestic? So shipping, labeling, it just, all of that will 
go into a price factor that your vintner has to think about mm -hmm. to get to their guests. So also about quantity size. So if I have a if I have um, a winery producing ten thousand cases, that's a pretty small yield for for an average winery. You know, that means that they're doing something really high quality, they're using pretty expensive aging materials and they're really wanting their wine to have some type of an impact. So it's probably gonna be a much higher price. Whereas if I have something that's what we call mass production in the industry, is they either buy their grapes or they have them imported or they just buy the juice that's already pressed. Yeah. And then they ferment themselves, they add a yeast strain that's mm -hmm. some type of a designer yeast that makes it taste the way they want it to every single time. That one's gonna be a lot cheaper. Because mm -hmm. I really, I made a bunch of that wine and I know what's going to sell because it's your bargain. Yeah. Right. So That's right. it's a lot, a lot of these things go into your price um, that people just aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, when people approach wine in with, with price first, yeah. I think that's just the wrong way to do it. You know, as, as subjectively as I can say that. Yeah. And as an educator, as a frequent wine buyer, you know, as a consultant, I think that it's the wrong way to approach wine. Um, and maybe the last thing you look at. Yeah. And for me, when I go to the grocery store or when I go to the liquor store, or if I go buy wine online, which I tend to do a lot because uh, they don't have everything that I want to here, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's more about, okay, where do I want to drink from? Mm -hmm. I always think about my region first because I, I learned from the ground to the bottle, not the bottle to the ground. Okay. So I learned, you know, how things were made, what climates affected those, what type of um, location are we looking at? Is it close to a river? Is it closer inland? You know, is it mountainous? Is it hilly? Is it a flat plain? All of those things kind of um, are what I have to consider when judging a wine, when learning about a wine, when remembering for tests or so. So I start region first and I'm like, okay, well, does this region produce a lot of blends or is it single varietal or is it both? You know, what grape do I want to focus on? Okay. Think about if I'm eating, do those things go together? So all of those things for me, I literally think about in yeah. like a 10 second time. It's pretty easy to judge when I look at the wall and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm feeling yeah, like tonight. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a feeling, you kind of go with it. You know with what you feel like, you know if you want like a really powerful blend or if you just want something really simple from Venito, so. That's right. Yeah. So, so personally, do you like red better or are you like a white wine? Kind of well, I like everything. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I, I like everything. I have such a, um, I have such an experimental palate. Uh, I don't want to limit myself to one thing. Mm -hmm. Now, I know everybody has a favorite. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a favorite. You can say that you don't. I enjoy everything. I'll drink anything once. If it's kind of like, um, you know, Anthony Bourdain, God rest his soul, that he's trying anything, you know, doing crazy foods all over the world. That's right. I want to have that same mentality when approaching wine. Mm -hmm. I, I will, I will want to, even if it's, even if I know it's corked, it's, I want to go and I'll try it. I won't, I won't drink the whole thing. I'll, yeah. I'll it's like, okay, I'll prove my point. It is yeah, corked. Right. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, still, my <laughs> palate's still solid. Um, but if I had to pick a, a side, I would probably go with red. Mm -hmm. I've read, just it, it, it 
on a scale, it has more complexity. It naturally has more complexity than a white will mm -hmm. because you're doing a lot more with it. You Definitely. know, whereas if you have whites, you're only getting the juice. Some have a short time of skin contact, which is fine to give a little bit more color, give a bit more structure and just a little bit more complexity to the wine. Mm -hmm. Whereas reds, you're macerating in the skins for an extended period of time. Yeah. Um, so I think reds for me are where I tend to go if I really want to challenge myself um, further mm -hmm. where, you know, whites are still a challenge, but further for reds, uh, regional wise, Italy is, is my place for wine. Yeah. It, it always yeah. has been. They've been producing wine longer than France. They have such a history and, you know, attending my Italian wine scholar classes and studying on my own now, it's incredible how much I still didn't know, mm -hmm. uh, the amount of indigenous grapes. They have over 500 indigenous grapes wow. alone you know so that doesn't that does not count the bordeaux grapes that they bring you know cabernet sauvignon and merlot and sauvignon blanc and um pinot grigio those are international those yeah. don't th those aren't counted that's so that's an incredible amount um i found out that that sangiovese actually has parents it it is um a mute it's a mutation between Selegiolo and um uh, Calabrian Montenuevo. I, mm -hmm. I didn't know that. So it's and cool to me to keep unraveling when you think you know something you really don't because mm -hmm. the pages keep unraveling. That's right. right. Um, but yeah, Southern Italy is, is definitely my area for wine. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure they're going to be glad to have you for sure. If you ever <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Try out each and every wine over there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That would be a dream come true for mm -hmm. sure. So now that we've talked about that, mm -hmm. let me ask you this. How long, or rather, let's start with this, like, how, like, what affects the aging? Like, what, what taste complexity does a wine develop mm -hmm. when it's aged? Like, what is mm -hmm. the whole concept of aging a wine? Um, well, the, the, the most direct way to answer that question, uh, aging a wine gives more complexity to it. That's right. It allows it to further develop those flavors that were babies, basically. Um, so a better way to, to kind of start off that question is things that we smell in wines, things that we taste in wines. It's not like we're putting apricots and pears and apples into this wine because yeah. then it wouldn't be wine. <laughs> um, it would just be some type of a sangria. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there. It's actually a chemical enzyme within each, and they all have names that I can't pronounce yet. And in a ma I just I, I've recently started learning about them, but in essence, they're all called thiols. Okay. The the um, collective name for them is called thiols. So when we swirl our wine and we're releasing all those thiols, they enter our nose. We process as we process them. Um, actually, through our um, through smell before we do taste. Mm -hmm. So about 80% of what we actually taste is what we smell first. So our nose is a lot, basically saying our noses are a lot stronger than our mm -hmm. palates, right? Um, so with all that thinking, um, whenever I have a wine, so say Aglianico, this mm -hmm. is one of my favorite Southern Italian reds, has a huge potential for aging on its own because of its structure, because of its acid level. Uh, we also have to think about those things as well. Not all wines are meant for aging. Mm. They 
are sometimes they're just meant for quick drinks. Sometimes they're just meant, um, they're, they're not meant to go anywhere and that's okay. So a good example is um, Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc is not meant to age. It's an mm-hmm. extremely fresh, um, very just refreshing type of wine, high acid, you know, very citrusy notes, grassy notes. Um, sometimes it can get to the mineral and flinty austere type wines when you go to Loire. But in essence, it's not meant to age. Mm-hmm. In the Loire Valley and Central and the Central Vineyards, they actually blend it with uh, Simeon. Simeon is normally not a grape that you see by itself unless you're getting it from Sauternes. Makes an incredible dessert wine that ages for years upon years. Um, but when they blend Sauv Blanc with Simeon, it actually gives it the potential to age. Mm-hmm. Now we're not talking as long as a single varietal of, of Sauternes, but more like single varietal Sauv Blanc, I probably wouldn't keep it past two years. Mm-hmm. It would lose its acidity, it would lose its freshness, and it'd just be really dull and flat. But if I blend it with Simeon, I will probably give it another five to seven years. You know, yeah. so it'll develop a little bit more. But back back to Aglianico. So if you um if we have that wine and that grape that's meant to age, right? We um, can sometimes blend it with other grapes that are, have the same process, sometimes to give it higher acid, give it more structure to help basically carry it along that process to further develop those flavors, to soften out our tannins, um, to make it more enjoyable than it was when it was first released. Mm-hmm. So with all that knowledge behind it, it, to really answer your question, it's it's giving more complexity to that wine. It's opening up baby flavors that may oh. not have been quite present yeah. um, during that primary time. Mm-hmm. Um, good ways to judge if a wine is ageable or not. Uh, we have in my world call uh, primary, secondary, and tertiary type flavors. So all your primary flavors are, are aromas are things of the fruit nature. Everything, whether it's herbaceous, whether it's um, got an herbal note to it, if it's uh, mineral, if it's fruit, all of that goes into primary. It's Mm -hmm. basically what the grape is giving you at that moment. Mm -hmm. Secondary is everything that the vintner did to manipulate the wine, whether it was oak aging, whether it was um, any type of uh, oxidation, uh, was it aged on the lees, Uh, and then tertiary is those things that will come from aging. Mm-hmm. So you'll have stewed fruits, you'll have dried fruits, you'll have um, that marzipan and darker all, darker nut mm-hmm. type of flavor that would have come from oak aging. So those are the things, if you start to pick up on them when you first have the wine, you if they're, if they're there, but they're not quite in your face, then you know the wine has some potential for aging. Mm-hmm. You know, if the acidity is high enough, if the structure is good enough and the tannins are there, yeah. then that the more you have of that, the longer it will age. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have those, well, it's just going to flab out. It's just going to fall short. And then you just kind of wasted space in uh, your cellar, right? So it's ba- so basically, like, when these... Uh when the wine is made, does it actually go through the process of uh, the winemaker adding some kind of fruit or something? Because I've noticed when I go to the restaurant or, and talking to like the server mm-hmm. who's, uh, who's offering uh, a, you know, a selection of wine, mm-hmm. they usually say they have a note of uh, you know, like apricot mm-hmm. or a little hint of blueberry mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know? So is what, what, what makes it go through that process? Do they actually do that? or No, they, I, I've never in, in my... 
in my seven years of education, have never heard of them actually adding fruit okay. or to it to enhance those flavors. Their chemical enzymes within the grape that are naturally occurring okay. that will present themselves based on their treatment going to the wine stage right mm -hmm. so it's kind of like coffee yeah. in a way you know in, in my my six my four years as a coffee master i would get asked that question all the time you know are they adding all these cherries are they adding nuts are they adding cinnamon to your coffee and I'm like no it, it it pretty sure it's just beans uh it's one of the hardest concepts for anybody who wants to learn more about wine to really wrap their head around because it's it's such a um metaphorical and uh non-tangible type of way of thinking because mm -hmm. how do you add how do you add um flavor and essence to something without actually adding it right, right. it does it, it just seems like it's not possible but it really is it's it's a chemical process of just those enzymes being alive in those particular grapes um they all kind of you can kind of lump them together in a way. Uh, a lot of Italian reds present some form of a cherry note, whether mm -hmm. it's ripe, over-ripened, under-ripe, is it sour, tart, um, is it dried? You know, all those things will kind of be represented overall with overall that um, that geography of where those grapes are grown. Mm -hmm. But it's, again, it's it's nothing added. So is it usually like the location, altitude, wind, and all that maybe affecting oh, yeah. it for it to develop that kind of note of flavors maybe? Well, those flavors are already in the grape, okay. right? They're already, they're, they're locked in, you know, they're not going to go anywhere. It's up to the vintner to understand what flavors are in those grapes and how best to extract them. Right. So those things come from a multitude of factors. it's um, So we think about the equator, right? All across the earth. It's mm -hmm. the hottest place on the earth. I mean, mm -hmm. it's where all of our heat goes, right? So typically you want grapes, you want your aspect um, where that refers to where the grape is grown on the mountainside, on the hillside, um, facing, you want your aspect facing closer towards the equator to get the most sun, to get mm -hmm. the most heat so that photosynthesis can happen. So you can produce those sugars, that glucose, and those flavors can really start to ripen, develop, and um, kind of go on their merry way. Um, weather, climate, location, soil content, um, ear, like all of those farming methods are really what start your domino effect. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want your dominoes to crash, then you really have to do your research and make sure that the appropriate grapes are placed in the right area. That's right. You know, so yeah, makes sense. It's like a puzzle. Yeah, it yeah. is. Very interesting puzzle for sure. Yeah. You have all the pieces, you just <laughs> gotta put it together. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so once the wine bottle is open, mm -hmm. all right, so you cannot consume the whole thing in a day, mm. sometimes. Sometimes. Very rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so according to you, like, how yeah. long can an open mm. bottle wine stay? Because I've noticed in restaurants, too, obviously, they have the high-end equipment when they store it under controlled temperature mm -hmm. and they put it back in the little container that they have, mm -hmm. which controls the temperature, air, and all that. Mm -hmm. But if in case of room temperature, you don't mm -hmm. have that kind of storage, then how long does the mm -hmm. wine last? Uh, it honestly depends on the wine itself. So if you have, um, let's say, a run-of-the-mill Chardonnay and you open it one night, you don't finish everything, you, if you... The, the best thing you can do is put the cork in it, put it back in the fridge, mm -hmm. right? Because 
the colder something is, the slower it ages, right? That's right. So that's that's cryogenics for you. That's all. That's all I can say on that <laughs> on that topic. But I know that well enough because we also talk about that in um, in grape growth. You know, the colder uh, regions will end up allowing their wines to ripen a lot slower, keeping their acidity, but also developing their flavor. Yeah. Right. So if I had that Chardonnay bottle, I would definitely cork it. I'd put it back in the fridge. And you could keep it anywhere from three to four days. After that, everything kind of just sours out, mm-hmm. and the acidity lowers. You know, it, it just it turns not quite a vinegary taste, but okay. everything with whites, everything just kind of flattens out. Right, yeah. it gets really dull and it's really boring. You have to toss it because um, eventually cryogenics only goes so far. Um, and then for reds, they're a little bit tougher because they oxidize a lot faster and that's basically what you're trying to prevent is a faster oxidation um so for reds you can still do the same method but they'll only last an, at the max three days in, oh, okay. in my experience even if you put them in the fridge which i still recommend you doing because yeah. they that third day in the fridge will taste a lot better than the third day outside of the fridge right because your your house is it constant states of different temperatures, That's right. right? You know, you don't have it constantly at 72 degrees. You never open your door um, or let the windows open or anything, you know, any type of influx. And you have us creating carbon dioxide out through the house. We, our body temperatures are constantly different, you know, influxing the house. So that's why people have cellars. That's why people have uh, uh, temperature controlled and non-vibrating types of cellars. I have two in my house and they, they work great. So... Fortified wines, when we talk about sherries, ports, now those are already to a point of oxidation where the vintner actually wanted them to be. That's what they were produced for. It's what they were grown for. And those will last anywhere to six to seven days, but not much past that. Mm -hmm. Um, They, again, will start to vinegar out. They taste really sour, really tart, and just, just overly done. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you think you can use that still for like marinades and stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the wine is still wine. So, if I have uh, a bad bottle of wine, the flavor is still there. Like the the original flavor that you had that first night you opened it is still in there. But oxygen has turned that wine into vinegar. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to, that's actually what I do. If you want to use um, wines for uh, marinades, if you want to make them for a sauce, mm-hmm. that's a great resource so you don't waste your money. That's right. Um, I once did that. I had a bad bottle of Chardonnay that you know wasn't that expensive, but it, it turned bad. And so I put it in um, um, a sauce for a chicken, a chicken dish that I was preparing, and mm-hmm. it turned out great. Because you're burning off the alcohol, you're concentrating the flavors. It's what you're already going to do, whether it's freshly opened or it's not. That's right. Um, just... Gauge yourself and make sure you're tasting your dishes before, yeah. especially smelling your marinades because you have to adjust for all that extra acidity and all that extra tartness that was created from the mm-hmm. oxygen with the wine. So on the note of you know closing your wine back and mm-hmm. storing it in the fridge if in case you don't finish it, mm-hmm. um, what are your thoughts on the synthetic corks versus the natural corks? So there's a huge controversy with that right now uh, because people think that it's not traditional. People think that, you know, others are um, thinking that it's uh, great for the earth. It's super recyclable. You know, that's great. It's 
is actually a, in my opinion, it's an incredibly smart idea. But again, the bottom line for a lot of these decisions is what type of wine are you putting it in? Yeah. It's not that I judge, I make that judgment on the price of the wine or I judge it more on its potential. Okay. So if I had, again, a $300 Burgundian red, I would not want to put a synthetic cork in it mm-hmm. only because that wine has ageability. Pinot Noir has ageability for it. I The whole point of having a real cork is allowing oxygen to slowly fall into that cork and into that wine, bottle aging it, if you've ever heard that term before, um, and slowly oxidizing it to create those more complex flavors that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Whereas synthetic corks are a lot like screw caps. If I ever had a, like a, a tr- like a Sauvignon Blanc, for example, or a Pinot Grigio, like I said earlier, they're meant to be drunk young. Drunk young. You know, mm-hmm. they're not meant to have long aging lives because they're super refreshing. They're just really crisp and and light and and so on and so forth. So we use screw caps. We use synthetic corks to retain that freshness. Um, whereas if we had regular, they would tend to go bad a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. So a good judgment I tell a lot of my students is if you're in the store and you really don't know how to gauge what a wine's going to taste like, nine times out of ten, if it has a screw cap, it's probably meant to be drunk now. It's oh, yeah. If it has a synthetic cork, um, a lot of people are going without foils I've seen lately. You know, the foil that kind of surrounds yeah. that you have to cut off. Um, I've seen a lot lately that don't have it on there or they're going towards waxing. Um, but then again, if you see the synthetic cork, you know that it really wasn't meant for a long life. Yeah. yeah. So does it affect it? Like if it case you store that wine for a long time, does that affect the taste or anything? Or it just stays no, as it, it just stays as it is because it has a sealant on it that prevents it from, it's basically made out of plastic that prevents it um, from hurting the wine at all. Mm-hmm. You'd have more problem with the color of the glass than you actually would with the uh, material of the cork. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then if in case it's like, so as far as that's concerned, mm-hmm. so let's go a little back into uh, the storage of the wine. Certain, like you said, like certain wines are meant to be stored straight in the bottle and mm-hmm. aged from there onwards yeah. itself. Certain wines, uh, as per me, are usually stored or aged in the barrel. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little about the barrel part of it. Like what, like what kind of barrels are used um, in terms of aging the wine or what best quality mm-hmm. is available for a winemaker mm-hmm. uh, to store the wine? Um, well, again, it all comes back, a lot of it comes back to pricing. Yeah. Uh, what can you afford? And French oak is nothing if not cheap. Uh it's, it's not, I phrased that wrong, it is not cheap at all. It it's depends on, if it's new, it's pretty expensive. Uh, we have to think about how much we're actually cutting down. So it's like that supply and demand type of idea. Although we want a lot of it, we have to charge a lot for it because if we cut too much down, then we're going to endanger the forest that they all come from. Um, there are a lot of different types of storage, like maturation tools that we can use. Some people use um, inert vessels, so those are like stainless steel concrete eggs that are still used. Um, they have uh, the Romans used a vessel called amphora that looked like a. Um, if you've ever seen Spartaca, or if you've or if you've ever seen any type of uh, gladiator type movie, you'll see what they're pouring the wine from. 
what they're storing it in or if they have it all in their house or like these clay pots there was what they did was took resin inside the pots and coated it in there so that it wouldn't harm the wine or said that it would help prevent it from oxidizing uh this was their method because they didn't have technology then and since then we've made quite a few strides forward uh you know we have french oak we have american oak we have neutral we have um Slovenian oak that's used a lot in parts of Italy that uh, we call body. It's used um, to age Vinsanto, which is a really good dessert wine out of central Italy. It's, um, we use other things. Uh, the Slovenian oak is used for a lot of stuff in central Italy, but majority of people use French or American. Um, neutral is, can be either one of those, and it's a it's more of it states the state of where the uh, barrel is at the time whether it's been used many times whether it's um, freshly new it just, it just depends but neutral oak states that this this barrel has been used quite a few times and it really won't impart anything on the wine but structure mm -hmm. so it won't impart flavor so when we talk about french oak um we look at french and american we think about the grain length so French oak has a smaller, a closer uh, grain width than American does. The staves are a lot closer, the grains are a lot closer. So this will not impart major flavors on the wine. So if you've ever had a Chardonnay um, from, if you've ever had a Chardonnay from Burgundy, if you've ever had a Chardonnay from Napa, and you compared those two, major differences. If they both had oak treatment, you know, they were both 100% Chardonnay, it would be incredible the differences not only the influences of the different worlds that you're working with but the oak styles when we use french oak those flavors are a lot more subtle you get more of the terroir from where the grape is grown you get more of the natural fruit flavors that come from the grape and less of the oat less of that like you're going to lowe's and eating a cedar block whereas new world California, for example, major Chardonnay producer, uses American oak uh, a lot of the time and will really want to push a lot of that flavor in your face. Where So French oak, again, remember, smaller grains, smaller staves, closer together, and American oak has much wider. Mm -hmm. um, so they kind of work on opposite sides, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it just, it, they, they really impart two different styles. That's yeah. right. And how many times can they reuse this uh, barrel? Um, I believe it's anywhere from three to five vintages. Okay. Uh, depends on the length of maturation. Depends um, on how much they're using. So it's it size of the the barrel. They make anywhere from um, barriques, which are uh, two hundred liter uh, barrels, and then they have ones that are as big as this house. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. So have you ever seen like pictures of that? Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of incredible because body is also that same way. They have anywhere from you know, like a 100 liter or a 50 liter to this massive room full of one. So that's, it's, it, I would love to see it. Yeah, I it's, would love to. It, I can't imagine how tall it is. Well, I can, but it's like once you get there, it's like, oh my Probably God. Just oh my splash into like a yeah. swimming pool and just kind of. Right. <laughs> and like I finally, I'm at my piece. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm swimming like, in wine. This is, I, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with life. You just leave me here. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is it true that once, um, 
the barrel is used up to its mm -hmm. potential, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. And uh, do they use it for beer? Or I have heard of that before. I've actually had some beers that are aged in Syrah. I've had some barrels. I've had some that are aged in Chardonnay barrels. It's unreal how much flavor they impart uh, because, you know, oak in, or wood is such a porous uh, product, mm -hmm. right? So it will absorb a lot of those flavors still in it after they drained it off. You know, they, of course they clean it, but they don't scrub it out mm -hmm. because that takes away all of the age. That's just, just stupid. That's just yeah. counterintuitive, right? So I've, I've had beers like that and they actually do impart a lot of those flavors into it. And I, those are the beers that I will drink. I'm not much of a beer person at all. It's, I think a Modelo is, is probably what I can drink on a hot afternoon if there's no wine available. But um, they're really interesting wines. They, I mean, beers, they, it's something I never would have thought of to do. But, you know, hey, recycle it forward. So, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. right? yeah. the only other option is for um, you to burn it down and refertilize it onto the land. That's you know, crazy. So that's, that's a lot of money that they. It but is. I'm sure they make most of it by just kind of using it up to how many years. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because um, some wines, I mean, a lot of, uh, uh, especially in in Europe, they have major aging restrictions on, especially in Spain and Italy and, uh, you know, in France they have a lot, but I've seen more of it. Um, in Italy with reservas. Mm -hmm. You have Brunello, for example, that has to be aged for a minimum of six years before it can be released. Two of which have to be um, in oak and six months of it have to be in a bottle. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and some people even go longer. They, the oldest wine I've ever had was a 1989 uh, Sauternes from, wow. uh, from Bordeaux. And it was, it was incredible. I, I have to admit, I did break the cork in half trying to get it open, <laughs> but I did have a filter, so we still got to taste the wine, and it was incredible. That would be a good occasion. It was. I mean, I, it, it just happens. You know, sometimes it happens to the best of us, and um, it could have been from any issue of not storing on its side. Yeah. The, cork, the cork could have just um, dried out. It's But the wine was still fine, so we knew that it didn't hurt it, which was great. That's a lot of years to sacrifice. Um but yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Would a wine like that require decanting or? Uh, so on the topic of decanting, it's a, uh, it is a person to person okay. type of thing when, when you're, when you're presenting it, I, I guess. But as far as the proper way to do it, the whole point of decanting a wine is to get it to open up a lot more. So Brunello, for example, Six years is a lot of time in the bottle, in oak, you know, just, just sitting there, mm -hmm. gaining all these flavors and, and opening up and blossoming. It's going to want to stretch its legs for a little bit, right? So I would definitely, if not almost all Brunellos, I would definitely want to decant them because I want um, the surface area to increase. So oxygen hits that wine a lot faster and lets those flavors develop. If you've ever tasted a wine and it just feels so tight, so stringent, like there's something that it's not telling you, mm -hmm. right? It's probably because it needs to be decanted. It needs some air to breathe. It needs to be allowed to really, again, stretch its legs mm -hmm. and tell you everything. So, um, but then there are wines like a Malbec that are typically released after two years, at least the vintage is two years mm -hmm. old. And I wouldn't ever suggest 
decanting it. It wouldn't do anything. No. If anything, it would just oxidize it faster. So mm -hmm. it would turn to vinegar a lot faster. So mm -hmm. you just have to take that into consideration. Think about how long it's been in the bottle. Think about what grape it is. You know, is it, I wouldn't do that to a sauternes. Sauternes is a dessert wine. You know, it's not going to open up anymore. It, 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 the point of bottle aging and oxidation creating, created all those flavors. So I don't want to give it any more. Um, but yeah. So cool. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. We can take a break for like two minutes. Yeah. You want some water or something? I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Man, that's a lot of information. I'm yeah. loving this. It so is. Much. It's kind of like, it's, it's really cool um, that when, I still even think this now, that with wine, it is a universe to understand. It's a, it's a whole other world to understand. And the best way that I can decompartmentalize it is you have to learn the building blocks. You know, I'm sure it was like with cooking, you have to learn how to make the five mother sauces oh, yeah. before you can go anywhere. You have to learn how to saute. You have to learn all of these knife cuts and all of these methods before you can go start creating your own stuff. You know, it's, right. it's how they came up with molecular gastronomy. They had to start somewhere. Right. So with anything with knowledge, I always say to myself, start with what you know, mm -hmm. start at the basis. So, when I passed my uh, my WSET level three, that um, level is basically focused on the why mm -hmm. of wine. It's why do these wines turn out the way they do in these regions? Why are these grapes planted here? Why are these soils good for this grape? And so on and so forth. And once you understand that, once you can take those all take all those puzzle pieces someone just gave you and put them together and you make the picture it makes a lot more sense. So even reading through my my Italian wine scholar studies, when they talk about wines that are planted um, on higher elevation will give you more perfumed, elegant, higher acid, um, softer tannin type wines, that makes total sense to me because elevation creates those types of wines no matter what the grape is. It's that, that style, that essence um, of the wine that will be, be permitted versus wines that are on plains will be a lot more full-bodied, higher alcohol, um, sometimes higher sugar content, depending on what the vendor wants to do, but they'll be more intense mm -hmm. because um, they don't have that elevation to allow all of those cooling products. They're at a colder temperature up there where I have a warmer, um, sometimes wetter climate or, or uh terroir on the bottom mm -hmm. you know so it's 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 just knowing knowing all those building blocks really really helps you understand what the what's going on with the world because they apply across the way you know they 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 apply all over the world there may be a few anomalies and there are it's like in santorini um which is a small island in greece they grow a grape um called Ag uh agitico mm -hmm. that um agiortico that is bush trained it looks like little birds nests because oh. such high winds happen on that little island that it knocks over all of their trellises you know it knocks the grapes off the vine and it's like oh well crap i just spent all this money and all this time and um it's it's so they they went back down to that 
But the point I was making was that those types of wines, you would think it's such a hot climate. They would be really big. They'd be really bold. No, they're like freaking high acid, super citrusy, really refreshing, really mineral driven. And it's like, what? So those are some of the anomalies that you just have to know. Um, And I'm sure there are more in parts of the world that I haven't discovered yet. But um, it's... It's just really cool. Those are the geeky kind of yeah, things that is. you get to unfold with, right? What are your thoughts on um, ice wine? I, I, I'm from Canada. Mm. I haven't seen a lot of ice wine action mm. over here. so No, you won't. It's not cold enough uh, for us to happen because yeah. it's... I don't know anywhere besides uh, some of the northern states that it actually freezes long enough for you to do that. Um, and then also being a good... Um, soil content and consistent weather for it to happen so um ice ice there are two there are three different styles you have ice vine which is in in germany and austria um and then you have um ice wine which is in canada right um i think it's an incredible grape i've only had i've only had it once um but it i like dessert wines Mm -hmm. like again i like i will enjoy almost anything it's really hard for me to turn my nose my nose I guess actually I did a couple couple weeks ago in uh, one of my classes I had a um a uh, grape from Cortana as an Italy as a region in central Italy that uh, their main grape is Syrah you wouldn't have guessed it was Syrah it was a hundred percent Syrah and it just did not taste like it it was not jammy at all it had no essences of um like deeper cooking spot deeper cooking herbs and pepper notes like none of that was was representative and it was like uh, what is it so i didn't like it not for those reasons i just it just didn't it wasn't my style um but yeah no i i think ice wine is incredible i i would never turn my nose up at a um at a dessert wine anymore. I, I think it's an incredible way to produce wine. It's very different. Um, I mean, it's freezing grapes. That's right. And, and it's like, who would have thought that? Uh, right. You know, it's Canada would have right. Of course, <laughs> oh, Canada. You know, so it's 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 things like that. It's the anomalies in this this industry in this um, type of type of agriculture that are just so cool. I mean, take noble rot for example. Whoever thought that a bacterial infection would actually make a wine better? Yeah. You know, so you, I mean, you have two styles, you have gray rot and you have noble rot. Gray rot is, um, the one we don't want. It's after that your, your grapes are done, but noble rot will infect thin skinned grapes with really foggy type of, uh, climates after a wet night and create such different flavors and, uh, complexity in these wines that it's just like, this came from a bacteria. Like yeah. what? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeast is a bacteria, but still it's, it's, you know what I mean? Like those, it's just cool. It's just so cool. That's that's the geeky part. I I was a huge science nerd in, in high school, and I loved talking about things that I couldn't see. You just had to trust that they were happening, right? So. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't get a lot of the ice wine away for sure. Because I, mm-hmm. I think I was in. I've been to a few restaurants over mm-hmm. here, and I asked the server, and they're like what do you want again kind mm-hmm. of thing. So it's like mm-hmm. the knowledge hasn't or rather the information hasn't been passed yet it hasn't of- really gone to the states you know again they make a style in, in austria a nice and i find but it's not something that travels a lot yeah. i don't see a lot of it uh here i see more port i see more sherry um i've seen some sauternes i'm surprised tokai is making it over here and it's from hungary so that's a that's pretty interesting um, 
I, I, I just thinking about, you know, I'm a pretty, uh, like continuous, uh, person about where I go. I'm a frequent, a lot of the same places. Yeah. Um, once I find a good wine list, I'm, I'm set, you know, I don't need to go anywhere else. You know, they, they, they give me everything I want and then they change it so often that it keeps me coming back. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk a little about, uh, food pairing with, uh, wine. Yeah. Like, um, what, like, how would you suggest in terms of, obviously like the basic is if I'm not wrong is Mm -hmm. red with red Mm -hmm. meat, Mm -hmm. white with white meat. Yeah. Um, what about the complexity of the sauces? Uh, what kind, like, would you lean? So if in case I'm having a steak, Mm -hmm. but I don't like too much of the heavy wine or like the Mm -hmm. salty palate taste of it, because that all affects like the sauce and stuff. Mm -hmm. So like, how would you go about if in case you as a person, you know, sitting in the restaurant, like what are your expectations in terms of, okay, you know what? I want a red wine, obviously Mm -hmm. my steak, but Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I just don't find it to be fitting with the sauce or something. Mm-hmm. So like what kind of taste palettes would you mm-hmm. find in the wine? Um, with food and wine pairing, again, it's it's knowing your building blocks in the, in the bottom, right? Um, like you said, reds with red meats and white with whites. And the reason we do that um, is because whites don't have the necessary, if, if actually at all, tannins that require... Um, the meat to join with to soften mm-hmm. out. So what I mean by that is the reason we pair red wines with red meats, those heavier reds is because the proteins from the meat actually bind with the tannin enzymes in your palate and soften them out to make the wine a lot more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And if I were to do a, a red wine of the same nature with fish, fish kind of has that, uh, not chemically, but like that um, steely type of flavor to it. Sometimes a little bitter. Um, you see it a lot with salmon, with tuna. Um, like just, metallic. Yeah, that metallic type of taste. And that would only elevate all of the bitterness in reds. So we use whites with high acid. And then your sauces help you. So on that note, sauces can really either make or break your food pairings. And that's what a lot of people kind of misjudge. Like they have everything on the right track. And then they make their sauce and it just goes downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, I was mentioning that the other night when I did my Wines of France class. Uh, we were teaching a, I was uh, We were tasting a... a what was it? A 2005 um, Bordeaux. It was from uh, Saint Julien, which is a, a region on the uh, left hand of Bordeaux. It's heavy, like Cab, um, major major influence from Cabernet Sauvignon, and so it was a really heavy wine. It was a lot of black currant, a lot of cassis, um, a little bit of a herbal note, uh, but it was really well structured and it was aged really well. Now on my my notes, I put chicken. Uh, to pair with it and a lot of people were kind of like thrown back They're like mm-hmm. I want a steak with this I'm like no you're totally right you can definitely do a steak with this but you can do chicken as well if you do a heavy enough sauce mm-hmm. so my point I guess is to whenever you're pairing sauces and wine you really want to match the intensity of them so as a chef you want to really take note of what you put in your sauce mm-hmm. okay and then take note of what's in your wine you know is this wine uh is the flavor intensity really big are you know are all of these fruits or all of these herbs or minerals or um um 
these vegetal notes, are, are they all coming out in my face? Okay, well, I kind of have to find a, a sauce or create a sauce that's really mimicking that intensity so yeah. that one doesn't overpower the other. Um, I think that answered your question. Yeah. I, okay, because yeah. I think I streamed off of it. No, that's great because, mm -hmm. I mean, as a server, that it's a huge responsibility to make sure you're suggesting the right kind of wine and right. getting to know from the chef as to, okay, if this right. is the sauce that you're pairing with your steak today mm -hmm. or chicken for that matter, right. you kind of need to know exactly like, okay, like let's ease off on like the boldness of the, the wine. Right. Gonna, you know, depending it's, on again. it's kind of like, you know, think about whenever you're creating a dish, you know, whether it's, it's, it's for dinner that night or you're in a restaurant you always want to think about, okay, well, will all of this go together? You have your protein, you have your veggies, you have your, your carb or your starches. Mm -hmm. Will all of those things marry together? Do they tell a story? Yeah. Do they belong on the same plate? It's the same kind of idea whenever you're doing wine and food. Do these really go together? Does this make sense? Write it down if you have to. Yeah. Like, oh, wait, no, that really doesn't make <laughs> sense, you know? So start over. It's... it's, it's um, it's all a journey, and if it doesn't happen, well, hey, you know, then you still have food, you still have wine, you just can't have them together. Just like a page just journey into pour wine. Up, <laughs> right, exactly. Just pour up a, uh, a gin and tonic, and you're good to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. might as well. I know. <laughs> all right, well, mm -hmm. I guess we've covered a lot of topics. Yeah. I mean, I hope, I hope like the listeners have understood exactly, kind of taken away from what they really need to, but mm -hmm. as per you, mm -hmm. if you had to suggest one thing to take away from this entire conversation mm -hmm. in terms of wine, like what would you say? Uh, oh, one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, um, I guess something I, I try and impart to a lot of students, a lot of people who want to know more about wine, uh, my best advice to give anybody in that nature is to just keep yourself open. Yeah. To really take off your blinders and expose yourself to other things than what you're just comfortable with. Push yourself outside of your comfort zone because that's really how I got started. You know, I wouldn't have... It, I wouldn't have tried other things if I didn't push myself to do yeah. so. So just go outside your comfort zone, push outside your boundary, you know, save up your money and go buy that $50 bottle of wine. Or um, to those of you who drink uh, Kendall Jackson or those of you who drink Yellowtail or, um, or um, any of those other brands like that, don't let other people tell you that that's wrong. Um, I think that's something that's a lesson I've been trying to work on and actually have a class I'm developing on and about the pretension of wine. Um, use those as building blocks. Maybe approach that wine in a different sense mm -hmm. and see our, I know there won't be many complexity, complexity layers under there, but there is probably more than what you're actually noticing. Exactly. So just maybe use those as building blocks to bigger things. All right, and mm -hmm. on a quick note, yeah. uh, not, not not actually on a quick note, mm -hmm. tell, tell us a little about your uh, your your class, like journey into wine. So what can what can students expect, and what what is it? About? So journey into wine is a company that I was allowed to be a part of with uh, my mentor Stephanie Earthman Baird. Uh, she has been an incredible mentor, a boss, a friend, uh, an educator. Uh, someone for me to really pull a lot of um, ambition from. She started as a uh, petroleum engineer for Exxon and 
she went to a dinner once and met this guy who knew so much about wine and inspired her to do the same. So she left and started doing this. And essentially what we do when I, when I get to work with her is we either go to your house, we'll do private events. Um, we do a lot of, uh, wine dinners with chef Soren. He's a by name only chef in Houston that if you don't know him, then you have to find someone who does. He doesn't. He has a website. It's it's extremely basic. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't have a telephone. Um, so he's one of those by name only people. But we do a lot of work with him, uh, whether it's a charity event uh, for a course wine dinner. Uh, we do the pairings for him, and then uh, one of us will come and basically walk you through it. Uh, as far as the classes go. She does the majority of the classes, and then I teach um, at the Texas Wine School, kind of doing my own thing. So I, like again, I do a lot of introductory classes or spotlights on regions. I'll do spotlights on uh, styles of wine. I did one on rosé. Um, or then I can create my own stuff. I do also teach, wanting to get into teaching uh, certification classes, so stuff that I've had to take, I want to be able to teach those to people mm -hmm. as well. Um so overall, it's 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 just um, it's a lot of freelance work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot of really making sure that your knowledge is always with you. I think I carry at least three wine books with me at all times, just in case nice. you know. So it's like, what about the bottles? Oh no, no, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I get pulled out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's um, it's 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 great to constantly have that exposure as it keeps it fresh in your mind. Because again. I don't pertain to know everything. I don't in my lifetime ever think that I will know everything because it's a constantly changing industry. Um, but to be aware of it and to know how to explain it to somebody is is another thing entirely. Um, so I think if you have the guts to do that, and I think that you could be a wine educator. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So mm -hmm. at the end of this episode, I just want to say, please, please follow Journey Into Wine. Mm -hmm. That's uh, Colin's page, mm -hmm. and he updates it on a regular basis mm -hmm. in terms of, um, you know, some wine uh, knowledge here and there. And, uh, well, if you ever need to get in touch with some classes and stuff, you know where mm -hmm. to go, uh, yeah. Journey Into Wine. Mm -hmm. um, that's it, guys. Uh, first episode of Chef Satchel with Colin. Mm -hmm. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the session. Uh, if you have any questions, please, please, please reach out to Colin mm -hmm. at Journey Into Wine on Facebook or Chef Satchel on Facebook. Uh, we're open every time, so yeah. don't be shy to just shoot us some messages. And if y'all have any suggestions for what would y'all like to listen to next, uh, please throw in the suggestions. We're open uh, to any kind of suggestions whatsoever. Uh, on this note, uh, we conclude. Thank you so much, Colin, for yeah. being here with us. Yeah, uh, fun. A ton of information. Yeah. Uh, we hope you love it. And uh, that was fun. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Bye.